This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, and we're all in the house. Well, not in the same house. We're all in our own houses here. Uh, David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? I'm doing well, Kevin. Yourself? You sound a little gravelly there on that introduction. You okay? Well, I was a little bit. up? No, no, I'm fine. Allergies? No, no, yeah, I, I took I took a Claritin this morning. That you know, that's what they tell you should be doing is is taking your antihistamines or whatever it is that you take, so you so you'll have an idea of what's going on with you. You're trying to eliminate the categories here. Uh, so yeah, I think everybody, I think all of us probably had it at one moment or another thinking. Ooh, do I have it now? Does it, was that a dry cough or a wet cough? Yeah, I'm not, exactly. I'm not, I'm not even sure I know the difference. And speaking of wet coughs, uh, hi, Evan. How are you? I'm good, Kevin. Uh, you know, it's it's a holiday for me, Kevin. Today is one of my holy days. It is one of your holy days. I, I, I much apologize uh, for not recognizing Passover. Um, so uh, we, we don't say happy Passover. But, yes, we, uh, do. we do say happy Passover. We do say happy Passover. That's okay. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Okay. Let so my make people sure. go, Kevin. <laughs> Here's the thing: your people are the people running restaurants around town. That's who. That's who your people are. That's true, I, and I hope God. God hopes that they all survive this. Yes. Yes. So do we all. So do we all. Or you know, some of our our friends have already closed down. Uh, hopefully just temporarily. Um, all right. Well, this is going to be our Cowboys edition for this week. Uh, we want to talk about uh, a little bit about the draft. We know that'll come up uh, in, a, uh, in a lot more specifics as we get closer to that April 23rd date uh, when we catch Jerry Jones sitting on his couch with his uh, ball cap on. Uh, that's, a, that's always a good look for Jerry. I'm, we're just all used to seeing him in a suit most of the time. It's kind of a little different to see Jerry in his warm-ups. Um, but anyway, uh, but we did want to talk about uh, positional need. And, and, uh, and our, our film studies major, John Owning, who I, I read everything he writes, he tells me all kinds of things about uh, these players that I've watched on TV, but, but certainly didn't study like he does. Um, and uh, in, in his series, as he uh, went over each position, uh, I was struck uh, the other day that when he talked about wide receivers and about the Cowboys' need and what if they did, and like, let's say if they jumped up in the first round to take Jerry Judy out of Alabama, uh, and and I know we don't want to talk about too many specifics here, but what what brought me to this to this line of uh, thinking is that do the Cowboys really need to draft a wide receiver in the first round? No. Now, again, a lot of this is you define need and and luxury, and I would say a receiver would be more of a luxury. Now, 
if you're getting a, a player who is going to be a perennial Pro Bowl player, it's something you discuss. But they just spent $100 million to retain Amari Cooper. They have a 1,000-yard receiver in Michael Gallup on the other side. They have the highest-paid running back in the game in Ezekiel Elliott. They have Blake Jarwin, who they intend to – you know, throw more passes to now that Jason Witten isn't here anymore. Um, where where are they going to – when you look at whatever receiver they take, no matter how talented, you would consider them at least going in the third option, I think. And really, if you want to throw Elliott in there, it will be the fourth option as far as who you're going to get the ball to. So now just do the numbers on how often would you get that player the ball versus a starting uh, cornerback, defensive end, or linebacker. And it, it just doesn't – as far as the immediate impact on the team, there's no question they should go defense. And there's some other reasons they should go defense, I think, as we get deeper into this uh, conversation that we, can, uh, that we can flesh out a little bit. Evan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I clearly don't know much about the uh, anything, really. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I do think I know is that the, the Cowboys are um, – Cowboys have a decent set of skill position players. And to me, the weakness last year came down to the inability to stop teams when they needed to. And so uh, if this team is – it just seems kind of silly to me right now. It's It's still – so surreal to be talking about uh, this football season like there's nothing else going on. Um, but if we do play a football season and it starts on time and all of that, uh, and this team is where it thinks it needs to be, it needs to address its its most immediate needs. It's not in a building, it's not in a building phase. It's in a win now phase, um, more so than ever. And so. Uh, it's on the defensive side of the ball where where they've got to they've got to improve the secondary that I think this team has to address. Well, Evan, we're sorry that you think this is silly uh, to be having this podcast now. Uh, I, it, it it the podcast isn't silly. It's just I I read on social media the business of the NFL, and I get it. You know, you can conduct all this business right now basically without face-to-face meetings, without interactions, without anything like that. But it just seems like it, it seems like the NFL is just kind of operating like everything is 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 normal and we're just not in a normal in a normal world at this point in time. So it just feels a little bit surreal. Well that was uh, Tuesday's podcast, Evan. So look, try to keep up with this is Thursday's podcast. This is about the, the NFL and the Cowboys. So just, you know, try to tell them to just, move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just move on, would you? Okay. Golly. Next. 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 Yeah, I like that. Next. Look, all right, here's two things. This is what the great Rick Gosselin once taught me about the draft. And we were having a discussion once about uh when the Cowboys, I believe they had the they may have traded up for that pick. I can't remember, but it seemed like it was the seventh pick of the first round, and I, I asked Goose, is this too e- too early to take Roy Williams, the safety from Oklahoma? And uh, Goose's response was, if you think this guy is going to be a Pro Bowl player, it's not too early. Um, and that's a little bit of what David just said a, a few minutes ago. 
certainly in any of these kind of conversations you have about drafting a player. Oh, very good. Uh, anytime you have this conversation about drafting a player, you always have to ask yourself, am I, you, you, you don't want to take a guy just for need. If this guy is a, uh, a player who you think is going to be an impact player for, for several years, then, then you certainly need to consider taking that, that player. Uh, when someone falls to you that you weren't expecting to, and then the Cowboys are drafting at 17, generally speaking at 17, there are not a lot of, of what would be considered locks. You know, you certainly there have been many great players taken after that. But generally speaking, the top 10 is where, you know, the draft is. When you get to 17, sometimes, you know, and, and David, you know, we talk about how uh, they're, they're not really – they're not, you know, 30 first round draft picks. You know, there are, there are 23, there are 18 there, you know, they, when they, everybody sets up their boards, they figure this, are, this is really what the first round is. Now, plateau seven, is usually, yeah, plateau is usually in the high teens to around 24. So anywhere from 16 to 24 are really how many mo- first round grades most teams usually have on players in any draft. Yeah. So, uh, so this is kind of a borderline for the Cowboys at 17. Uh, still can get, obviously, what people, most people feel is a very good player. Um, but I, I agree with David. And this is something I want to bring up, too, when you, when you mentioned Blake Jarwin. And I hadn't even thought about that. I, I thought about this a few weeks ago. Um, and, and I wonder if this is one of the keys in, in re-signing him, which I thought they should have re-signed him anyway. But because of his flex, his positional flex as, as a tight end, a guy who may be able to play even in the slot a little bit, I'm wondering if the Cowboys might want to be re, uh, kind of redefining the position a little bit for themselves and thinking we can line Jarwin up in the slot occasionally if we want to. And, and certainly the other receivers have all played in that position as well. Amari Cooper could play in the slot a little bit if he needs to. You know, and, and wonder if that kind of mitigates – any kind of concerns you might have uh, about that third receiver or a slot receiver anyway? Well, Cooper's very good in the slot, uh, so you can do that. The Cowboys, one of the seven free agent signings they made was clearly a blocking tight end from Kansas City who didn't catch any passes really in Kansas City scheme, although he did catch a pass in the, in the Super Bowl, uh, Bell. So, you know, this the bell is where he, as he's known here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, they got their blocking tied in. And so they're going to free Jarwin up, I think, to be more out in pass routes because he's shown he has a pretty good uh, rapport with uh, Dak Prescott. So, you know, this goes back to, remember the draft where they took Gavin Escobar and it's like, we're going to use these, we're going to do what New England was doing with tight end. We'll make them both receiving threats. And, and it, it never happened because Escobar never got on the field because he wasn't a good enough blocker. Uh, I don't believe Mike McCarthy is, is bound by that, uh, that football principle that my tight end has to be an outstanding blocker. And you look around the league, very few teams really play it that way anymore. Or if they do, they go out and get someone like Bell to come in and handle the blocking. And their other receiver, whether it's a Travis Kelsey, uh, that sort of player, they swing out wide and, and get him in space for mismatches. So that's what they'll do with Jarwin. So, yeah, one, I think that minimizes it. Two, the other thing I would point out is that, you know, this draft is you, – you talked about how good it is at the top at wide receiver. Well, it's also deep. And why do you have to take a wide receiver to upgrade your team 
at number 17 when you can get a player, from what I've been told from talking to people, there are going to be this, – this draft may go 25 to 28 deep as far as receivers that are the quality that are graded to go through four rounds. Now, that means there are going to be a quality receiver sitting for you there in day three. But I, I think the earliest you address receiver would be the third round. And, and to me, uh, the way this is shaping up, you can get a player in the fourth round that you say, you know what, we want a guy, a young guy, a slot receiver we can develop uh, that will play limited snaps, we'll bring him along as he shows he's capable of coming along. But until he gets to that point, we have plenty of other weapons to get the ball to. So to me, that's just a much more plausible scenario that would allow you to up, upgrade your team immediately and still address needs in, in an order that are there. You know, uh, this reminds me a little bit of uh, talking about tight ends, uh, about in the days when I was growing up in Houston and the orders had two tight ends at the same time. Uh, one was Mike Barber, uh, who went on to coach some high school football around here, and I think controversially at, at that. Um, and then the other was Jimmy Giles. Um, and they uh, uh, eventually decided they couldn't keep both, and they traded Jimmy Giles uh, to Tampa Bay, where he went on to have a great career. And was on, I believe he was on that Super Bowl team uh, uh, that they when they maybe maybe not that's probably way after his time but anyway he was on some very good teams in Tampa Bay and was a very good tight end uh, and the the reason they kept Barber was they felt like he was a better two way tight end and, and Giles was considered essentially mostly a receiving threat um, and it feels to me a little bit like uh, when we talk about players in the NBA. And, uh, and obviously everybody wants a two-way player, right? Everybody would love to have a guy who can guard people and also be a threat, you know, and certainly that's what's evolved into the three and D and all of that. Um, but in essence, in basketball, if you can put the ball in the basket, you're going to play, they're going to find a place for you somewhere, you know, uh, as opposed to the great defensive player, a great defensive player may stick in the league, but, but you got a much better chance of making it if you can shoot. And, it, and to me, it seems like in the, in the era we've moved into in football now among tight ends, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if you can block. But if you can catch the ball, you can get open and catch the ball and be a threat, then you're going to play in this league. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm wondering just what you were talking about there and in, in, in this philosophy. And we've, I think we've talked about this before with Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy which I think is a, a great philosophy if a guy can play, if a guy's got talent, then I'm going to find a way to get him on the field. And to me, this is what coaches do. You know, I can remember when, uh, when I was in Houston and I covered uh, the University of Houston and Bill Yeoman running the, the, the beer offense. He didn't alter it a whole lot. You know, uh, he tried to find quarterbacks who just fit the kind of scheme that he wanted to run in, in, in his veer, as opposed to when uh, – uh, Bobby Collins running uh, an option offense at SMU when when he had a quarterback when he had Lance McElhinney then he pitched the ball of course he had Craig James and Eric Diggerson behind him that's what he did he ran the he ran the offense but mostly what he did was turn around and pitch that ball to one of those two guys and then he had the quarterback Don King who came in not the fight not promoter, the promoter not the promoter <laughs> 
<laughs> that would have been entertaining. That would have, that would have been much more entertaining. Though. Yes, it would have been. But he threw the ball really well. And so so they threw the ball more when King was the quarterback. And I thought that was, to me, you can have this concept if you want to, but you need to be able to adjust within that concept to best fit the skill sets of the people that you have. Sure. And, and we've talked about this now to do that. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Evan. Thank you for making this very contemporary with the 1980s and SMU and Houston reference. It was the only time I had a beat, so I, I had to bring that up. <laughs> it, I, you I, know, I, we're, I, we're talking about all this and the options, but real quick, I was just going to say, you know, you're saying like, well, get another guy in here, and, and certainly a Judy would be a, an upgrade, and, and you could use him as a weapon, but let's just talk about what they have now. We talked about it, so – Say you don't get another receiver right now, and they will. They will address receiver in the draft. I just It's not going to be in the first round. But let's just take right now the talent they have. You don't add anyone else. You just go with who's on the roster. So you're lining up, and you want to stretch a defense. So you have Gallup and Cooper on the outside. You have Jarwin lined up in between. You have Elliott and Tony Pollard in the backfield, and you swing Tony Pollard out into a slot sort of position. Mm -hmm. And he's shown he's a very capable receiver out of the backfield. And now you're stretching a defense right there, and you haven't added anyone. Now, I'm, that's not to say you can't, be, you can't threaten a defense more if you got someone like a Judy or a CeeDee Lamb. Of course you would. But for the number of snaps they're going to be on the field – for the percentage of time that the ball comes to them, what is a better resource to upgrade your team this year going forward? Would it be a third wide receiver or would it be a defensive starter? And given the state of the defense right now, that, that's not even in question. It, you, you swing toward the defensive side of the ball. Devin, did you want to say something? I'm just waiting for my wife to bust into my. <laughs> well, she's already done Ford, that. Ford Ford just came in a minute ago to get something out of the refrigerator. I, I, you know, and, and then I was struck by I was I was interrupted by the fact I looked up on the TV in Channel Five and Tristan Hallman was up there, and, you know, introducing somebody at City Hall. You know, I thought Tristan Hallman worked for the Dallas Morning News. That was that, a while ago, Kevin. Was that a while yeah. ago? Has he, has he moved on? I was communications director for the Honorable Mayor Eric Johnson. Yeah, I knew that. I was just giving everybody a hard time. Um, I, I, can I just ask this, David? Um, we're sure. We're factor in the, the retirement of Travis Frederick and replacing that body on the offensive line into the draft scheme. Well, you have Joe Looney, who started at center – for Travis Frederick two years ago, when, or a year and a half ago, when uh, Frederick was out with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, is he as good as Travis Frederick? No. But that team won the division and went to the divisional round of the playoffs with Joe Looney as the starting center. So I don't consider that to be particularly an issue for them. And you have Connor McGovern, who they took in the third round of the draft last year, who didn't play because of a torn pectoral muscle. Uh, he is a guard center. And I, I think you will see them. Um, I, I think it's Joe Looney's job. I think Connor McGovern will be given a chance um, to compete there uh, to be the starter. And, you know, I, I would not rule out that they would take a center. I think they will certainly sign a center out of the draft as, as an uh, undrafted free agent if they don't draft one. But I'll be a little surprised 
uh, if they took a, a center before the sixth or seventh round. Um, and, and really, this is not a good draft for centers. I believe uh, the, the top center may not even go until uh, the third round is what most people project. So I believe that's a position they need to address, but I think it's more as depth and competition uh, versus, look, we've got to draft someone who can step in for Travis Frederick. I, I think they're pretty comfortable uh, with what Joe Looney does there. So I was intrigued by what you mentioned about Tony Pollard a minute ago, David, and, and I know that, that I've read that, that they've discussed that before, the possibility of, of putting those guys in the backfield at the same time. How, how many times did they do that last year? Oh, it was minimal. I want to say off the top of my head, I think it was maybe only 12 to 14 times over the season. And usually when they're both back there, certainly you flex one of them out, and it's usually Pollard. He goes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't use that a lot. Really, the, the format they fell into was um, they would alternate and, you know, Elliot would get three series and then Pollard would get one. And right. then you'll go back the other way. That, that, that was how Pollard got most of his usage. Uh, but again, remember, they had Randall Cobb last year uh, who was outstanding. And, and, you know, I, I get it. That's where people are saying, well, you got to get a receiver to replace what Randall Cobb gave you. Well, do you? I mean, you, you're going to need uh, another body in there and you want another threat. But I would argue um, Gallup is going to get more receptions. Amari Cooper, if healthy, is going to get more receptions. And then you, you get a young slot receiver in this draft to develop. and uh, or, or you get an outside receiver and see if you can play slot or you go out and you grab another guy who's slot. Um, but again, I just, you know, this was the number one offense in the league last year. They've spent a lot of money on offense in the offseason in, in signing Amari Cooper, and they're going to spend even more in, in signing Dak Prescott. You can't keep throwing money on one side of the ball and just say we're going to be so dominant. You can't put all of your money on the offensive side and then just say, okay, we'll patch it together on defense and take whoever we can get at whatever cost we can get. Uh, they did that with some extent with, with Alden Smith. They're doing it sitting there saying, oh, well, Randy Gregory will probably be back. But neither one of those guys have been reinstated yet. Uh, they did – in my mind, I'm a little surprised. I thought they would have done more to address the, the defensive side of the ball and free agency. The fact they have not – to me, is a clear indication they're going to do it in the draft because they have to. Yeah, um, and, and you know, you, you you don't like to be put in that position where you're you're drafting for need. Um, but uh, I, I think it I think in a lot of ways this draft does kind of play into their hands a little bit. I I think they it wouldn't hurt for them to draft a wide receiver. Um, of, of the guys that they have on the roster now, um, you know. I'm not blown away by the guys behind uh, Cooper and Gallup. Uh, yeah, Cedric Wilson and Noah Brown would be two of the top guys at the moment. Right, and, and, and they I, both I, had a lot of injuries and, and haven't developed to the point you would feel comfortable with either. They they have shown flashes, but they have not developed to the point where you would feel particularly comfortable with either one as a as a third receiver. Right. But with a draft where it's considered really deep at wide receiver and the fact that you could probably get one in the third or fourth round uh, that you would still like. And, and I have to say this too, you know, and I, and I may be in the minority on this, but if what you're looking at as a slot receiver, 
I just think that there are a lot of guys who could qualify for that role. I just think that, that basically what you need from that position or what you generally get from that position is a smaller guy, very quick, runs great routes, and has good hands. Uh, I think that's one of the easiest things to find in college football. Uh, I just think there are a lot of guys out there who are quick, good hands, run good routes. Uh, and, and obviously, you like them to be tough, too. And, 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 and we're not even talking about guys that you might be moving. I always thought that Rex Burkhead would have made a great slot receiver. Now, he and, – and, uh, and maybe he – I have never seen him really run routes specifically, but he's a very tough guy, very smart guy, um, and, and I always thought he could handle that kind of role. But when, when, you know, when all this really started with the Patriots and, and uh, Wes Welker and uh, uh, that kind of thing, it's like, listen, I, I see those guys all the time, you know, especially in the Big 12. I always thought the Big 12 was full of guys who could be slot receivers for other people. Cole so, Beasley, who they had. Yeah, yeah I mean, you yeah. can and, – and, again, a lot, of those guys, a lot of those receivers five years ago you were picking up as undrafted rookie free agents because there wasn't really a marketplace for them. Now – You've seen their value, and the and these are this is part of this draft class we're talking about. Now they're going to be drafted because they serve a valuable role, and it's not about blazing speed. It doesn't have to be about size. It's about your ability to work in a short, confined space and get separation. And sometimes quicker and smaller is better in those situations. Yeah, it is. And so I, I really didn't, you know, I, I just don't feel like that it's really a, a big priority for me it, when you when I think you can probably find that in other places. I, I just I, I do think those kind of guys are available. So that that means to me that, uh, you know, that they need to go someplace else. Clearly to me, the big problem for them going forward is in uh, and, and, and making the Alden uh, sign and Alden Smith signing uh, it, that probably relieves a little bit of the pressure on them looking at a defensive end in the first round. Uh, I would, I have done this before and I'm trying to recall off the top of my head. I believe in Jerry's tenure as a GM, he's drafted a, D, uh, a defensive end in the first round almost more often than any other position. If I'm, I'm if I'm recalling. Uh, yeah, that, that, that started changing late when the salary cap changed and then they started going with offensive linemen after Jason Garrett got here. Yeah. And they started loading up. And, and a lot of their defensive linemen of late have been second round. But then you did have Taco Charlton a couple of years ago, late at the end of the first. Uh, yeah, they, they would still build uh, interior out. But, but look, it, it de- and it doesn't really matter what defensive scheme you run. I know we've talked a lot about this before, about uh, the weights at the positions that, that the defense under Marinelli put on that was different than others. but. It doesn't matter if you run a 4-3, a 3-4, how you weigh certain positions. The two positions every single defense in this league will weigh at the top of the list are a pass rusher and a cornerback. Those are always the two top, no matter what defense you run. So you look at this team and how it's constructed, uh, I I would be shocked if they did not take a pass rusher or a cornerback at number 17. Yeah, I would be too. And, and I'll have to say this, uh, it kind of goes back a little bit, Evan, to what the, the Rangers last draft uh, in which they, they took two college uh, third basemen in the first round. Um, and one of the reasons we felt like they did what that was because they'd had such a lack of success in the last few years and getting any production out of their first round picks 
pretty much almost in the, in the entire John Daniels tenure uh, that it was kind of he kind of came to the point. Hey, we got to hit on one of these guys, and we got to get a guy who's a little bit closer, a guy that's uh, that we, we've seen what he's going to do. We we've seen he's made it this far. He hasn't had any significant injury history. Uh, he's closer to the big leagues anyway because he's a little bit older, and that's what a little bit I feel like in this situation for me. Uh, I think defensive end that pass rusher is almost as difficult to find as a quarterback in the NFL. There's, and the Cowboys' history certainly shows that. They had the biggest string of flops you can imagine picking defensive ends in the first round. Uh, and I, I, so I, that's why I think they have to get a, a, a guy who can contribute in the first round. If, if I think that if I'm going to weigh a cornerback or a defensive end, I'm taking the cornerback. I mean, fundamentally to me, like you, to use the Rangers example, what they had to do last year was they had to forget about the ceiling of these guys to some extent. They had to raise the floor. Um, and I think that's what the Cowboys have to do on this, on this first round pick because this is a team, you know, the NFL draft and obviously the MLB draft are two entirely different animals because the, the MLB draft is, is with three or four years down the road. The NFL draft, you're looking for guys who can make an impact immediately. But that's underscored all that much more based on where the Cowboys are and where their biggest need is on defense. And they need to draft the defensive player that has the highest floor for where this team is right now. I, I think that more so than, than ever before, based on what, what Jerry has said, what, based on the philosophy that they kind of espoused, this team expects to win right now. And they need to address their needs right now they can't afford to take guys that they think could be an all pro in three or four years they've got to get guys who can be significant contributors now yeah and i, I think that uh you know we weren't going to talk a lot about names this week we were going to kind of get closer to that in the next couple name of weeks. names kevin name names well you know as uh, a guy who's come up a lot is uh, the florida cornerback cj henderson uh and uh you know I, I really think that this is, you know, as as much as the Cowboys have kind of ignored the safety position, I would I don't want to say that they've ignored the cornerback position, but they certainly said by, you know, Byron Jones, uh, you know, the fact that I, I, you know, and I want to ask David about this because this has always been a uh, a concern of mine. Um, I didn't always think that, that they <laughs> they treated Byron Jones like you would treat a first round draft pick. You know, first of all, they bring him in and they make him play safety. They make him play cornerback. You're making him play all over the place. You know, he's not – he was an okay safety, not a bad safety. But uh, when they put him at cornerback, he responded right away and, and, and played the position very well. And, you know, and you watch him play, no, he did not get a lot of interception. But it seemed to me more the, the technique he used when he played, or I don't know if that was what he – the way he played or the way they wanted him to play. But – he seemed like he, he mirrored uh, the wide receiver so well uh, and, and would just reach up and either deflect the pass or they just simply wouldn't throw the ball to his side of the field at all. Uh, I, I've always thought that the, the idea of, of, of a guy who doesn't get a lot of interceptions, and I, and I know that he hadn't had any interceptions as a cornerback. His interceptions in the NFL came as a safety. I, I understand all those arguments. But I also think 
it's a, it's a little bit like defensive ends when we talk about sacks. You know, a lot what the NFL talks about is that what, what you really want to see are pressures. Sacks are almost flukes. I think the intercept, interceptions are almost flukes. We see guys get interceptions where he's just standing there like Larry Brown in the Super Bowl, and the other quarterback throws them the ball. You know, he, yeah. you know, he didn't do anything except stand there and catch the ball when the quarterback threw it to him. So I, I think that uh, when, I, when I watch what happened with Byron Jones and his career with the Cowboys, and then he priced himself out, I guess, uh, and, and so then the, the Dolphins signed. And we'll see how that all works out. But I, I just thought that Byron Jones was pretty good. And then you had that position pretty well locked down. And, and, and it's not like they were really good at the other corner. You know, Chidobe uh, uh, Uwuzie has, has just been kind of okay. Uh, Jordan Lewis did pretty well when he was asked to play, and I, I kind of liked him better at, the, at that position. But they were already a little thin there, and now they're super thin at cornerback. Yeah. yeah, quickly starting with Byron Jones. Uh, you know, he'd played both corner and safety at Connecticut. So when they brought him in, one, there was a bigger need at safety at the time when he was drafted. Uh, five years ago. Two, they felt they, they were confident he could play either position. They felt he had a higher ceiling at safety than he did at corner in their initial uh, assessment of him. And, and they thought he had more of an upside there and he could be like a Pro Bowl safety. They didn't know if he could be a Pro Bowl corner necessarily. So he played very well at safety. Um, but then they had a need and they had to shift him over to corner. And Chris Richard said, no, I want him at corner. He fits the size. He has all the, the skills and he excelled. And Chris Richard, who pushed for the move to, for uh, Byron Jones to corner, is, is a significant reason that, that Byron Jones got the money he did this offseason. And, and you're right. He never got interceptions. He never got plays. One, that's part of the scheme where the Cowboys want to keep everything in front of you and not give up big plays. Uh, but two, you go back last year, okay, Byron Jones didn't have any interceptions. In, in fact, since 1970, for, for a player who has started as many games at corner as he has, he's had two interceptions and no one else has fewer than five. So, I mean, that there's a gap there. But that being said, there was only one corner in the league who had it, who was tougher to throw against last year, and that was Richard Sherman. Uh, when you look at the completion percentage, when you look at the, the number of yards uh, when targeted, Richard Sherman was the only corner in the league that had a better overall percentage of success than Byron Jones did. So clearly he's one of the top corners in the league. But as we got to, this is a franchise that gives their money, that, that their money goes to the offensive side of the ball by and large, not the defensive side. And when Demarcus Lawrence got a big contract last offseason, they weren't going to do that again for another to keep another key defensive player. Now you can argue with that philosophy and say it's wrong, but that's clearly their philosophy. So now you look at corner. And it's not just that Byron Jones is gone. Now, they signed Anthony Brown, who missed like the final six to eight games last year with an injury, uh, to a, to a long-term deal. Let's just not look at this season. This point next year, right now, how many cornerbacks are under, are under contract on the Cowboys roster? One, Anthony Brown. 
Chidabe Awuzia will become a free agent. Jordan Lewis will become a free agent. Uh, and you haven't drafted anyone else. So, I mean, they are threadbare there, which is another reason I don't see how they can take less than two corners out of this draft. And you can really argue three. But there is no way they can come out of this draft we're taking less than two corners because they just have no depth there and they haven't really addressed it in free agency. Now, David, I was just going to look that up as you were saying that. Um, what was the famous draft where the Cowboys took all the cornerbacks? Which year was that? Ooh, it's around 2008 or so, or uh, seven, eight. Maybe a little before that. Uh, and, and, of course, that ended up being uh, – that was the Mario Edwards draft. Uh, oh, that was, was going back there, yeah, when they took like four or five guys. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that didn't work out so well. That, that's the issue, and, and, I, and I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I, and I agree with that, but and that is also kind of the, the situation where you get yourself into a bad – position saying okay we're just going to draft these guys is this what we this is what we need um and i think that that is when you really get yourself into, into trouble sometimes and i, and I think as, as recalling that draft as i'm i'm scrolling back here looking for it um is that they did not have a first round pick that year i don't believe and they were trying to get uh uh some death oh, here it is 2000 that was uh, the one I'm thinking about. So that's the Dwayne Goodrich draft, which that didn't turn out well for him. In the second him. round, yeah, they took him in the second round. And he, the second Goodrich, round, they took – Lattimore and Mario Edwards, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they took three uh, – of the of the five picks they had, they took three cornerbacks. Uh, of course, now these were a second rounder, a fourth rounder, Kareem Larimore, uh, and then Mario Edwards was a sixth rounder. So it's not like you were really expecting to get anything out of a sixth rounder uh, and, and really – uh, not much more than depth at, with a fourth rounder, probably. That's the first three rounds you're expecting to get some impact. So, um, uh, but I, I agree with that. I, I don't, you know, they have to come up with a, a cornerback who can play. Uh, and, and almost, uh, it, if C.J. Henderson when I, and what I read about him uh, would have, seem to have a really good chance of walking right in and playing. Now, we, we certainly oh, he'll know start they, immediate. He'll start immediately for them. My question on him is not whether he would be a good pick, but whether he would be there because he's in, he's clearly the second best corner in this draft. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I need a corner. We know Dallas needs a corner. Do you jump ahead of Dallas to get him? And, and I think Dallas, when it gets around 14 or so, uh, if CJ Henderson's who they want, Dallas is going to have to look at, at giving up something to move up to get him. And, and I think they've put themselves in that position where they can't just sit there because, uh, again, I think, you know, after that, then you're talking about Diggs or like a Christian Fuller, and I think there's a little bit more – they're clearly on a different plateau. Uh, Henderson is the last of that plateau, and if you get past him, then you're really looking at guys, from what I've seen, that are projected more late first. So then do you start playing that game? Okay, well, let's domino back, pick up some more picks later, and maybe we can get a Fuller or a Diggs around 26 or 27. Uh, but you can, you can outsmart yourself on that, too, and find those guys are gone, and then you draft it back and have nothing. And, you know, the, the last time in my mind that Dallas drafted back and did a good job of doing it was the year they took Travis Frederick, and they kept tumbling back, tumbling back, and got him toward the end of the first round and, and picked up some additional picks in the fifth. Um, that's – 
that's an option for them, I think, if C.J. Henderson is, is gone. And that, is, and that was the guy that, that they fixated on. But like I said, I think uh, it, it's not just him. I think Chason, the defensive end out of LSU, is another guy that's going to be in that range uh, that, that is certainly on their board and, and they're having discussions about. So if they let's say they get to that point, let's say, you know, you get to 15 and uh, both those guys are still on the board. Chase on and uh, and Henderson. Uh, I, 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 I would expect throw one wild card in there. What? Okay. And, and I know this goes back to your, your argument from the from the beginning. But of all those guys, still, if C.D. Lamb is left on the board at, at, in the fifteen range, right now you're mm-hmm. you're throwing that wide receiver in there. Of all those guys, who's the biggest game changer if Lamb is available? Is he not still the biggest potential game, the most impactful player on the board at that point in time. You know, I really like C.D. Lamb. He's tremendous. You know, uh, if you saw him play for Oklahoma, uh, certainly if you saw the Texas game, which is one of the most remarkable college plays I've ever seen where he caught the ball, just a simple little route. He catches the ball, and there were five Longhorns around him, five, and he scored a touchdown. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a guy get through that many people, in, you know, in the open field from, from a dead stop. He caught the ball, turned around, and there they all were. Um, Discussion, right? If, if if he's still there, you've got to have that discussion. I, I think it's a legitimate discussion because here's the other thing. Uh, let's say uh, because everything needs to be a discussion. There should not. There should never be. Oh no, we're not going to do this because uh, and for all the great points David made uh, about Amari Cooper, they can get out of his contract in two years uh, if they want to. Uh, and let's say they decide they want to uh, get out of that. If you've got C.D. Lamb uh, uh, prepared to take his place, or if you think Michael Gallup has improved to the point where he's the number one receiver, he certainly showed some of those tendencies at the end of last year, um, then maybe that is a discussion to have. But that's, that's the whole point of the draft, and that's why, you, you take, that's why we take the best available talent, right? You, you wait to see what falls to you. You know, if, if, if players start falling for whatever reason, then you've got to consider that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a possibility for me. I, I'm, the, the problem I have uh, – well, let, let me say first of all, before I get to the problem with, with these drafts, is that, now, David, is my understanding this, the, uh, the supplemental pick – that the Cowboys would get for losing Byron Jones is probably going to be a third rounder. Does that sound right? Probably next year. Yeah. I mean, you have to see how it plays out and if there's a season, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. should be in that range. Yeah. So that's next year. Uh, that's the, that's the 2021 draft. It would be picking up a third rounder. Let's say if you were moving from 17 to 14, as you were, uh, uh, you know, g- giving us an idea of that a third round, uh, a team is probably going to want a third rounder this year though. Right. Uh, to move up three picks? Probably. You're going to see you know, the, the best scenario for Dallas is as many offensive players go off the board before they pick as possible. As many quarterbacks, as many receivers go off the board as you expect. And uh, if that happens, they should get uh, – they may actually have a choice there at 17. Uh, but the, the other thing is – bring up CD. The other thing is say – C.D. Lamb, for some reason, falls there at 17. And a team that's only two or three spots behind you can't believe he's fallen that far. He's the last of the plateau for them. There's a significant difference. Then those teams are going to be saying, okay, you know, what do you want just to drop back three, four, five spots? I think, I think Dallas would love to be in that position. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll, and again, the, the draft is going to, the timing of the draft is going to be interesting this year since it's going to be all remote and they're all not going to be in a room together. And uh, because th there's kind of a natural flow you set up when you're there where you look, okay, wide receiver coach, you talk to me now on why this makes sense. But, you know, now they're all going to be on different channels in their own home and you're going to have to like, uh, the, the communication is going to be much different. It's going to have to be much more organized. And I think, I think people are going to go down. I think teams are going to go down to the final second and be a little harried uh, because they just haven't done it this way before. I just, in looking at these mock drafts, so I do, I do agree with you, Kevin and, and David. I do think like if Lamb somehow falls, it's the, it's the ideal situation for the Cowboys because they can then just go out and take the best player who's going to be available on a board in a potential game-changing wide receiver, or they will have the ability to leverage that pick into multiple picks and address the more immediate need, which is a, a defensive back. You know, the, the, the thing to remember here is that you, you always have, uh, in a situation where you don't know the future, and all you know is what you know right now, you, you, everything seems more certain. Oh, they have to take this player, you know, because this is the need right now, right? And yet, when you look back three years later, five years later, people say, oh, my gosh, the Cowboys had the opportunity. They could have taken C.D. Lamb, who is now the greatest right wide receiver in football, and they passed him up to take yeah. C.J. Henderson, who was a bust and never did anything. And, and, and invariably, that's the kind of thing you get yourself into. And that's why you, you do have to take the best uh, athlete available. Because if a guy becomes a transcendent player, he makes a difference all across the board. He but makes, you be he makes your team better. That's you have to have, right? Is he a transcendent player? If you determine he's a transcendent player, you act on that play. Yeah, then, no. then, then you're wrong for not doing it. Because, again, and this is all a nuance and on a scale here, when I'm talking about this, it's like you, you never ignore a player who is clearly better at a position just because it's not a position of need. To me, it's a tiebreaker. If you're pretty close, I mean, if you have one guy graded as, uh, as you know, 8.57 and the other guy's at 8.54, but the 8.5, you know, four is at a greater position of need and a crying position of need, you take him and you don't look back. Where you make mistakes is where you're sitting there and you go, well, no, this, you know, I had this guy 32nd on my board. This guy was like eight, but I don't need, I mean, I, I can't use him at that position. And then when you ignore those, that's where you make big mistakes. And yeah. uh, if there's any discrepancy that big, no, you do it and you make it work. Um, but, but I just don't know that the discrepancy at 17 is going to be that large with any of the players. Now, I, I think there could be some discrepancies in the, you know, 12, 13, 14 range. But uh, from, from what I'm seeing, from what people have said, I, I don't know that really that, that first plateau is going to cut off around 16 or 17. And I know a lot of times that drives people crazy in markets going like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the plateau cuts off just the pick before we have it. And uh, you hear that a lot as an excuse a lot of times in the draft. Uh, I think teams float that out. But, but hearing from other places, I've heard that, you know, really around 15, 16, then you're starting to see like a, a bit of a drop down to that next plateau. 
Yeah, these are all issues, and I, and I think it's probably time for us to go. I've got a steady stream of traffic. Yeah, you have, you have other here. things you need to do. It's clear. It's not. I want to point out that Debbie's, Debbie went to the grocery store, and, you know, because we don't want to take away the, the mask from people doing real work, you know, we've been wearing our bandanas. So I, I, I've told Debbie my only real concern when we go into a grocery store with these bandanas on is that someone thinks we're coming to rob it, you know, and they're going to call security, and the next thing you know, you know, we're – we're trying to explain that to our children why we need to be bailed out. And I, I would like to do us a favor where you wear those to the bank. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. That was, that was, well, that was the big social distancing fad of the 1870s, I believe, in banks, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's, uh, I told Debbie, that's the great thing about this. Well, I'm going to start wearing it. You, 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 that's why they had those things down around their neck all the time. It wasn't a decoration. You know, they're pulling those up for when they're robbing banks. Or, you know, for the dust storms and all that other kind of stuff they had. And they didn't have a lot. They were concerned about spreading viruses back in the 1870s you know that wasn't a big thing back you know, more often than not you were going to be uh, inhaling lead but I, I would like to let you guys both know that while we were on the on the um, on the call um, I was doing some research here and did determine that on amazon.com there is currently a, a unisex black adjustable dust mask with a Dallas Cowboys logo for outdoor use um, Unisex, really. However, cur currently, so um, they're they're out of stock. Uh, maybe we'll see Jerry wearing a couple of those during the uh, during the during the. So draft. it fits the male or female face, is what you're telling well, us, Evan. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. I thought they were all unisex. You know, frankly, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. know I've been wearing unisex, uh, but it does look. This is what I was probably, does. I this is why people. You know, this is why people looking at me crazy. I'm wearing a woman's face mask. That was the problem all along. <laughs> Holy cow. I think if you walk around with a bra on your face, that would not <laughs> which be. Which I've done that. Yes, I've done that a lot. As a matter of fact, I could never decide which cup, though. You know, I would kind of go from one. I would slide it over from one to the other. You know. Actually, I did see Chelsea Handler do a video where she demonstrated how she would use her bra as a face mask, and I, I, I wouldn't recommend. It. Probably not. Okay, that's enough. I think Jose has actually left the building. Uh, it is no longer even working. Uh, he I think he's just that... disgusted. <laughs> I don't think it's – he's there and disgusted, I believe, is the more oh, accurate description. Okay. Now, I, I think that's going to do it this week for our uh, our podcast. We had one earlier in the week in which we discussed the, the world at large, the kind of stuff that Evan likes to talk about, really depressing and, and uh, all that other stuff. And then we had this little Cowboys podcast today in which we talked about the draft. As, as noted, we will uh, ramp that up a little bit more in the weeks leading up to the draft here on the 23rd, uh, and we'll talk more specific names, and we'll be educated more by then and know what the Cowboys, uh, which way they might be leaning, uh, and which way they were, they're sending smoke signals, uh, but we'll, we'll have a lot of discussions about all of that. I'm relatively sure that next week Jerry Jones is going to join us on our Zoom call for this. Really? He needs the practice. Yeah, I, I've, I've been told he needs the practice for getting ready for the draft, and this would be a good environment. And let's face it, nobody is listening to us this late into the podcast, so it doesn't <laughs> Oh, no, you're, you're mistaken about that. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.